I think people, you hear, t- you know, startups and like, oh, you got to wear a bunch of different hats, right? Well, you got to be able to do this and you, you got to be able to do that. And people don't, I don't think, recognize how true that really is um, and how many things that you've just got to be able to figure out how to make it work because there's nobody else to do it. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Slow Smoke Business Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Morgan, and I am super pumped about this episode. So for the first time, we're actually going to have more than one guest on the show. So I'm actually not sure how to introduce everybody uh, the way we normally do, so I will here in just a moment. Um, But first, what are we putting on the grill? Well, today uh, I have slaved for hours preparing this. Actually, that's not true. I got this from a local butcher called the Cajun Cleaver. This is a, if you can't really tell because it looks a little gnarly there, but trust me, it's delicious. This is a whole chicken stuffed with boudin sausage. Boudin sausage is a Cajun sausage that has rice in it and spices, so it's all stuffed in there. And we're going to throw this on the Rectech grill. Um, But before we do that, let's introduce our guests. So a couple of guys are returning and uh, I'm really excited to have Matt Jay back on the show. Matt, who is our former chief technology officer, former CIO of the year in the state of Alabama, current entrepreneur in residence in, at Innovation Depot in Alabama. Welcome, Matt. Hey, thanks for having me. And back for a second time, Luke Brimer. This is kind of like around the horn when the guys come back every show, like on ESPN. <laughs> Right, so Luke Brimer, uh, sales extraordinaire, author, uh, good friend of the show. Thanks for coming back, Luke. Thanks for having me, man. And for the first time on the show, Steve Morgan. Uh, you may recognize the name. Steve is my brother, but he is more famously known as the general of operations, the greatest online proctoring operator in the world. Welcome, Steve, to the Slow Smoke Business Podcast. Well, thank you very much. Uh, it's an honor to be here. It is an honor indeed. I'm going to actually, I don't know if it is an honor. Actually, it may be a curse. So I figured the easiest way to put this thing on the grill, I'm going to I'm gonna glove up here. Otherwise, we're going to have like the Salmonella Chronicles, right? <laughs> have any of you guys ever had boudin stuffed chicken before? No. Yes. Yes, I have. Luke went, yes. Sausage. For sure. Oh, you've had it, sausage. It this, well, it's basically sausage inside the chicken, right? Yeah. So open this bad boy up here. I've been preheating it. Let me turn it down. So unfortunately, this is going to need to cook a little while. We're not going to be able to see the finished, finished product uh, on the show, but that's okay. I'll see if I can get it and put it on the social media later. Ready for the sizzle? Ooh, there we go. Oh, there it is. Nice. Very nice. There you go. So we're going to let that guy go for about an hour. And then let's get the probes in there. What's your temperature you're running there, Jared? I've got it at 350. So you're supposed to go 350 um, for an hour and then come back at a higher temperature for about 30 minutes. At least that's what the instructions said. And I trust them more than I trust my own judgment. So you didn't want to go low and slow on this one? I could have, you know, I could have. Um, it's more fun to. To drop it on, so, you know, I guess I could have started in the morning. I was going to drop it. You know, I like to drop it in the middle of the show, and you get to see it go on and the sizzle. But Alex, our guy that we work with here on the podcast, is trying to convince me that 
I need to break the episodes up and start the episode, putting it on there, and then finish the episode an hour or two later when we're getting close to the end and we can kind of see the finished product. So the slow smoke business is a work in progress, like, uh, like everything in life. It always is. We had a great show uh, with Matt and with Luke and with Scott. And the one thing that uh, I kept getting over and over from people was uh, while they really liked the business lessons, people really love kind of the stories, the stories about, you know, the early days um, at Proctor U. And as you guys, if you don't already know, the three people on the show are three of the most important people in the Proctor U story that uh, kind of built this little scrappy Alabama startup into what it is today. And so, um, you know, we shared a story on, during Luke's episode about changing in a, in a London bathroom uh, with weird cameras that were watching us and we still haven't really figured out why that was. Um, but I wanted to talk uh, some more about what it's like in the early days and the lessons that we've learned from that. So the first thing I kind of want to throw out as a discussion point, and this one's for Matt. Um, when we were starting out, the guy, for those that don't know, haven't heard our story, we, we founded a company called Proctor U back in 2008 and grew it over uh, a several year span to become the largest online testing company in the world. Uh, but it took about you know 10 years to be an overnight success, right? It took a long time for the company to kind of grow into uh, what it is, hence the name Slow Smoke Business is what we talk about. So in the earliest days, uh, when we moved, we originally started in a, in a small school. And when we finally moved out of that school where the, the idea sort of started, and I was able to convince Matt to move across country and, and kind of join me on this ridiculous <laughs> project that we were starting, we had to get our own building. And um, we found this building about... Five or ten miles down, it was down in Pelham, Alabama, just south of Hoover, where we had started, and we we found this. It, it, it was like a stucco brown building, and, and we called it the Gingerbread House because that's what it looked like. It was a gingerbread house. But about a week after we moved into that building, um, we got a notice in the mail that our landlord uh, was in default with the bank, and we now owned owed all of our rent payments to the bank. And this is like, yeah, this is our first building. We've just been in business for the, the little short amount of time. And it was like, we kind of had one little floor on this building and then the rest of the building wasn't finished. And the building next door was done on the outside, but it was studs on the inside. And so we thought, oh, maybe we'll eventually expand into the rest of this. And like two weeks in, we realized like, oh my gosh, now, now the bank is the landlord and we're never, I don't know. So quickly upon having that happen, there was one particular quirk about that building, Matt, wow. if you remember. Well, one was a lot. quirk. There was one, there was one particular quirk that was problematic, the most problematic, and that was what, Matt? Well, I was, when I was thinking about uh, this, the, the AC was a problem, but the yeah. plumbing was, the, like, was the biggest problem. The plumbing was a disaster. Uh, so whoever built this building... Um, I'm not sure why, but they, they installed the plumbing wrong in the building and the toilets would quickly become unusable after just a little bit of use. And as we were a growing company, we were having people come in and work and, um, you know, I would, I would be on a call with, 
like uh, you know a university provost yes sir no we yeah absolutely we can guarantee that this is going to work and okay thank you and I'd hang up the phone and I'd walk down the hall and I'd be plunging a toilet trying to make it so that our proctors could go to the bathroom but it got so bad that uh eventually we had to I scheduled the proctors to go take shifts to the convenience store yeah they would have to go <laughs> So they would they would <laughs> leave. Part of the operational plan is to like have the proctors go to the bathroom in the convenience store. So they would go to the convenience store to go to the bathroom, but uh, we Matt and I did not have the benefit of having time to be leaving for the convenience. Oh, store. I know where this is going. I know where this is going. <laughs> we did. Kind of, this is kind of embarrassing. It is, but it's a true. It's okay. a true story. So. Yeah. Matt and I very much like to hydrate a lot while we're working. And, and there was, we, we called it the, the situation water, room, too, right? We had water. Yes. We called it the situation room. Cause Matt and I had to share an office and we were like 10 feet from each other and we were working all the time. And when one of us had to go to the bathroom, we couldn't, we couldn't go to the gas station. And so if we had to not number two, if we had to go to number one, right, Matt, where, where would, what would happen if that happened? We had, um, a special, well, see, <laughs> as, as you mentioned earlier, there were two buildings. One was built out and the other one, the other one was not, it was just frame. And there was a particular elevator shaft, um, where we empty. would, um, <laughs> just a hole. It was empty. It was just a hole. Yeah. It was a hole. There's no elevator in there. It was just, it was just whole frames frame framed out. And we would, uh, we would take advantage of that hole. For uh, we would pee into the elevator for- shaft of an empty building that was not finished because the landlord would not fix the toilets. And if that's you know, here we are years later confessing that it's not great. We also used to have some pretty interesting private meetings in that building, too. <laughs> that is true. Like, <laughs> so not only would we <laughs> use that space as a bathroom if we had to, um. We also used it. We, we would use it for private phone calls. There wasn't a lot of privacy in that tiny building. And it got to be an issue when, when like a homeless dude, I guess, took up residence in the upper floor up there. And we were sort of like, I don't know if he's going to be home. I need to make a call. You know, anyway, the things that you do in the early stages of a business, right? Even before that, though, when we were still what we consider in the basement, right? Um, things that shaped, I guess, my experience early on. So for example, like when I got on, like I, we, it was for going back, reel this back a little bit. So you were like, oh, I had to convince like Matt to come out. Like since we started this thing together, like there wasn't, there wasn't too much convincing, man. Like I, I knew that we were on a growth trajectory. Um, cause you know, I was building the technology. And so when, um, you would talk to me and I would see like in the scheduling system, you know, what you were going through. Cause you were just running the show by yourself. And I felt so bad for you, man. Like early on, you would like have to proctor, pause, run home, feed the baby, unpause, like proctor. Like those are some of the stories that like, I mean, that's, that's, that is the stuff, right? That like made, made this like when you were just handling it by yourself, like that was, that was something. And then when I came on, um, we were still, you know, in the basement, we had one or two, two or three proctors, two or three proctors at the time. And I mean, I was on the clock to, to build out and implement a new video like delivery system because they're phasing out the original one, um, while developing the operational plan. Um, 
And that was, those are the things that kind of like, I remember distinctly making, um, this experience, like, well, th those things stuck in my brain. Like I remember I was writing it, I was writing out the scaling plan on how to get to a thousand appointments in one day. And now, now a thousand appointments in like what an is, hour, what's, you what's know, a, how many, how many do we do an hour on the busy days now, Steve? Uh, we, we do about 3000, uh, yeah. an hour on busy days. Yeah. And see, that's the thing. And I, I, this was on paper and I would be like, all right, so if we have this many starts, we're going to need this many proctors. I was trying to figure out. And then, so just going back to the operational like side of this, I mean, getting that right. And then for me making those first couple of hires, uh, and figuring out how to hire proctors and like convince people that had no idea what the hell a proctor was or what they were supposed yeah. to do. Like, am I going to have to be like, you know, is this a medical type thing? Are we mm. like having to bend people over and, and do something weird? Like, no, 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 no. It's not like that. Wait, you said this is on webcam and proctor. What? You know, like you, you remember when we were at putting out ads for, for online proctors in the early days, we we're trying to get people to come work. And we had this one young lady show up. And we liked her, but she, she brought her brother to the job interview. And we said, like, I, I, listen, we really like you. want to hire you. Just got to – why did you bring your brother? And she said, well, I'm answering an ad on Craigslist, on Craigslist about some weird internet company with a webcam. And my brother insisted he can. <laughs> we thought, yeah. that's sound decision-making. Actually, you're hired. So It took a lot of different iterations of how to write the ad in such a way to attract the right people. Yeah. Um, and, and that evolved that, that probably still evolves to this day, like how to attract the right people, like to become proctors. And, you know, luckily, you know, I, I'm, I'm guessing, you know, we don't do as much, um, domestic hiring on proctors that we used to, but, um, even, even so I, I'm, I'm sure that that process and the way that that happens is, is still like being refined. Yeah. It's, we're changing that every day. I mean, it, What's interesting about all three of you guys and, and sort of a common thread is that each one of you guys has a story of how you became kind of a believer in, in, a, in a startup early on. And, um, you know, I think we told the story about Matt, you know, he's living in Los Angeles, he's playing guitar and, and on the Sunset Strip, and he's got a great career with the Geek Squad moving, he's moving up and everything, and he, he like takes his pregnant wife and does the reverse Beverly Hillbilly, right? He moves from California to the country to go work for this startup that had a history of not being able to pay me very often. And we've told that story. There's the interesting story of Steve too, my brother. So as that was going on and as I was convincing Matt to come to like, I need a guy, you're the guy, you know, and Matt's like, okay, he's coming. But um, we were spinning out of the university and the university that we were in, um, was a very, very small school, and it was really struggling financially. And so um, it had kind of been mismanaged by the, the management of that school, and, uh, and, and we were spinning out into our own thing. And so it was like, we don't have, the, the university doesn't have enough money to keep the internet and the lights on for the next 45 days until we become a, our own company. And so uh, we needed money. If I didn't, if I didn't make, it's complicated to say why, but if we got to 45 days, we got like a little lump of seed money that we could uh, work with. But if I didn't make it that 45 days, we had no business. And so when you get into situations as an entrepreneur, they say um, the first people that you raise money from are the three F's, their friends, their family or fools. Right. And so um, I called my brother because he was all three. Right. 
and, gotcha. and he was i'm like yeah can you and so he <laughs> he wrote us a check um i don't even remember how much it was but it was a lot of money for me at the time um 40k it was no i don't think it was that much so you overestimate our ability to write checks back then yeah not not, not back then it, uh, it was i think it was like 15 it was like yeah you would like sold that. a car or something and and had anyway and that was enough to bridge that gap and i remember you saying uh, hey man, what happens if, if I lose, this goes to zero. Like if I lose this money and I said, man, if you lose this money, I've lost everything. And he was like, all right, I'll take that bet. <laughs> right. And- uh, absolutely. That was uh, that was pretty profound at that moment. I was, I was really kind of debating, even though you were my brother, I was like, man, I, I may never see this money again. <laughs> and, you know, I asked that question and you said, well, you know, if, if it goes to zero, then that means I've lost everything. And, you know, I, I, uh, I had to take a chance and, and you know, I, I believed in you and I, I knew your work ethic and knew you would do whatever it, it took to uh, try to make it happen. Absolutely. Absolutely. That investment is probably one of the most pivotal moments in, in, yeah. in Proctor U history because if that didn't happen, Steve, like there, there might not have been a Proctor U, quite honestly. Um, cause that's, that's what enabled Jared to keep like grinding because I mean, we had, you know, we had such a need, like he was just killing himself by himself. I was on the West coast. So at that point, uh, I wasn't, I wasn't able to help operation cause that's what really needed. The technology was, was working well enough, but what he really needed help with was the operations at that point. And it was just so hard to be able to, you know, do everything that he was doing and <laughs> try to like, um, run the operations for, for Proctor U at the time. And, you know, it was only just for AJU and a couple of schools, but I mean, that was enough to like, just, it was a lot. I remember talking to you, you know, like long nights about, man, this is just, this is killing me. I don't know how much longer I can do this. And I just wish I was, I just wish I had some help. That's why it wasn't, it wasn't hard to convince me to like do it because I saw that you would put your heart and soul in it. And I, when I talked earlier before about, um, you know, what was critical to, you know, to making something successful, it's, it's the team, man. Right. So you were able, you were like, you're like all in like, and so, you know, if you're all in, Hey, Hey man, like I'm, I'm all in. It was, it was an easy jump for me because, you know, at that time I was doing this remotely, but like I saw you were all in. So for me, it was, it was easy. You're all in. I'm all in. Let's do this. Let's do this, baby. Let's get a little grill check. Um, Oh, that looks good. Oh, nice. So yeah, it's, it's getting out. a little, it's getting a little charred on there. You know, I had it um, really hot to to heat up and clean the grill, and I may not, I may should have let it cool off a little more, but I think it's the right temp now, so we should be good. You don't want to mess around with chicken not cooking it enough, that's for sure. That's true. I've got, I've got temperature probes in there, and they're at, you know, one ten. So what's your target? What's your target there? Uh, well, my target temperature is the USDA safe eating temperature for chicken, which is 165. Uh, I've got it on 350. You know, I may turn it down a little bit. Maybe let me do that. Let's turn it down and let it smoke a little bit more. Um, because the grill's running at 395 right now, so let's put it at 300. That's warm. Cool it off yeah. a little bit more. Whoa, 395. Oh, it's in that man. sun too. I bet. Yeah, Alabama sun, man, makes it. Uh, Makes it a thing. You guys, uh, you guys grilling anything good lately? By the way, as an aside, it's been a while for me. I, it's been a couple of weeks. I mean, I'm, I've just been doing some steaks, um, 
but uh, I haven't done a long low and slow in in, in a minute. It's a couple months. Steve is quite the the grill man. That's yeah. For sure. I, I cooked some smash burgers the other day for the uh, for the kids, so that, that was uh, that that was they were very good. Oh, nice. I'm so some chicken breast on there tonight. So come on, some stuff chicken up. breast yeah. is easy. It's the good stuff. Yep. So uh, there's a story that uh, involves all of us, right? And uh, and and it has to be brought up in this context. So we built. We're building the business. We moved into a nicer building now. Uh, we're we've we're in a section of Hoover, Alabama, and we have about a almost a 4,000 square foot building. So not super big, not tiny. It's kind of like, that's where we're going to grow. And we employed a whole bunch of proctors there, people that lived in the area. It's usually like, you know, college kids or recent college grads. And Steve was on staff. Uh, Steve had joined the company a couple years later. Uh, we recruited him to come run operations. He had had a background in law enforcement. He had had a background in um, running construction projects and had managed a lot of people. And so we were like, nobody's ever really done this before. So can you come in and figure out how to logistically make this work? And so he's running operations. We've got this little office and it was springtime, um, in Alabama. And this was, I guess a decade ago, a little more than a decade ago, forget what year. And, you know, if you've ever lived in the South, um, you know, that when snow is on the on the on the horizon or if there's any inkling of snow people freak out and you know why do you guys we've we've people that work with us in minnesota and they're like i don't know like you guys get snow flurries and everyone freaks and buys all the bread and the milk and why is that well it's because of incidents like this so we're at the office and we get this i get a notification on my phone that all the schools are closing and my, my kids are in school I'm like, great, what do I do? Well, my dad happened to be at the office, and so I tossed him my keys, and I said, hey, can you go pick up my daughter and just bring her here, and I don't know, we'll figure out. I don't know why they're closing the school. I'm looking at sunshine, and it's a little cold, but whatever, right? There's no, there's nothing to do anything. And to say that that day devolved into madness is an understatement. He left what should have been, and went on what should have been a 20-minute drive to pick up my daughter. He... A ro- he he got there and got her, and it took him about four hours to get there. And he should have had another 10-minute drive to my house. We decided just to send him to my house and ended up having to abandon his car. And how do we get from sunshine to that? And it's just because we had a massive amount of snow in a very short period of time. All the roads iced over, and it became this major ordeal. You guys remember this, obviously. Oh, yeah. We got it. Forget it. Birmingham calls it Snowmageddon, right? And so, when you're running a company, sometimes like you've got all these these strategies for customer management, and you've got you know all these strategies how we're going to grow and we're going to do, it. and then you get thrown some wild curveball, like a snowstorm in the middle of hot Alabama that shuts the whole city down. And so, uh, we ended up getting stranded at the office, right? You remember how that even came about? Oh yeah, I remember. How did it come uh, about, we, Steve? We, it was it was no, leave no man behind. Well, don't throw the uh, guy don't I, don't throw the guy under the bus and say his name. But there was one particular proctor uh, that that uh, couldn't couldn't. He was not allowed to drive in the snow to, to try to make it home because he's driving his mother's uh, so car. He was driving his mother's. This is like car. a part time worker. Mother for would us. not allow it. Yep. And so it was me, Steve. Everybody else had left. Luke had had hightailed at home. He was afraid. 
you know. I would no, I was in no the irony of that that situation was I had just come off of having like complete uh, ACL surgery oh, okay. and was go. was in no no was in <laughs> Ohio for a conference and it was it was mm-hmm. in the middle of a snowstorm there and I flew and it was that day a blizzard hit Columbus and it was negative 20 negative 20 degrees in Columbus and wow. I get off that plane and I'm, I'm going to the conference and of course you would assume that you know somewhere negative 20 in a blizzard would be a little tough to handle it. No, life carried on, to your point earlier, life carried on just fine. Um, I, I made my way and did my thing up there, but, um, you know, a little bit of snow and ice, we got shut down here in Birmingham. Matt, what, what year was that? Do you remember? Now, 2013? I was trying to recall that. I think it was like 2015. No, 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 it would have been 13. It wasn't. It or maybe, maybe it was something like that. Yeah, yeah. 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 You're, no, yeah, you're right. You're right. It would have been 13. That's right. Because it was like we were in the River Chase building. It was like the first year, I think, in the River Chase building. So we get stuck there overnight because this one guy, his mom won't let him drive his car home. And so it was <laughs> me and Steve and Matt and then a guy that worked with us uh, at the time who, who now runs a startup that's really cool, Guy Friedman. Um, run Steady MD, a really cool um, uh, telemedicine startup, and so he, uh, so we're all stuck in the, and and in the Proctor, right? And I remember, and I remember if Steve was so salty that we because we missed the <laughs> we, we missed the window to try to go home, and then it was like we're stuck now because it is like Armageddon outside. The roads are shut down. There's cars abandoned everywhere. We're like watching TV and they're showing reports of people trapped in their cars and they get, so it was like, there's no leaving the office. And I remember this, this kid that works for us. He like sidles, (laughs) he sidles into our office. We're standing there like in disbelief looking at the TV. And we had like a little futon in this little office where we all had meetings or whatever. And he goes, so, uh, so who's sleeping on the couch? Right. And Steve looks at him and goes, well, it ain't you. <laughs> the guy kind of slunk out of there. Yeah, I was not real happy at that at that point. Uh, it was I was a, a little uh, concerned that, you know, I started thinking about, you know, what what are we going to eat? Yeah. There was no well, food. There was we had no a snack food. machine, a snack machine and then chips. they had that little deli in the building and that guy got stuck there, too. And so he decided to start grilling things uh on the grill but then he was like price remember he was like price gouging us like oh yeah he it was, was, that like, was horrible. what how much is this sandwich like dude yeah that was a little pricey call fema but it was it was it was a mess and i look over in the office to pass the time it had gotten in the middle of the night and matt uh super energetic jay is over there i remember like us going what are we doing like we're stuck and i look over there and matt is literally he's got a medicine ball and he's doing like calisthenics over there to pass the time and i'm like would you get out of here like there's different make make lemonade buddy listen steve and i are trying to eat you know that's how we're dealing with stress and matt's over there he's burning calories right man yeah that 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 actually was uh was was a real special that ended up being a real special thing because you know we we really got to spend some time together without outside distractions and really we're talking about you know the business and and really what we were wanting to do and and kind of how we were going to figure out how to go there and i remember sitting there and we were talking to matt and i was like man you know, we've just got all these people that, you know, we, we really are having a hard time tracking some things. And he's like, well, you know, I think we might, we probably need some kind of ticketing system or something like that. And 
And I said, yeah, that would be great. And I said, well, I don't, we don't have any money. Like, I don't, what are we going to, what are you going to do? And he's going, man, I'll never forget this. He goes, why? Well, I, I don't know. I, I think I can kind of come up with something. And I thought, okay, well, I didn't really know what that was. I didn't know if we were going to try to dig something up out of the backyard or, <laughs> or what. But I remember the, the, you know, he stayed in his office and the light was on the whole night. And the next morning we were kind of milling around or whatever. And he said, oh, yeah, well, you know, last night I, I went ahead and just created this whole ticket system. We got we got a ticket system now, so you don't have to oh worry about God. that. And I was like, oh, my God. Classic, I mean, Matt. World? Just do it in a way so he can flex his tech muscles overnight. But I mean, that was the way, that was the way we got yeah. stuff done. Back all then. that. You know, we, we were didn't... all that way, guys. Like, you know, that's one story about tech, but there's so many others when it comes like Luke was talking about, like when the sales thing, right. When you guys were on the road, Jared, you got that story, Steve, you know, you spent, think about how many, how many, how many Decembers have you missed? <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> Uh, almost every one of them since I've been at Proctor uh, yes. Union, you know, I, I had to, I had to offload all the Christmas shopping and everything else to my wife and every, which, you know, that turned out to be great, but you know, it's, uh, that was our busiest time. And, you know, you have to, you had to do what you had to do. I mean, I knew from after Thanksgiving until almost Christmas day, I was going to be head down in the office. Can't look up, uh, just grinding. Because everybody tests in December. doesn't matter what school, whatever. Everybody's semester ends at Christmas, right? And so everybody's doing finals and, and everybody's finishing up. You know, if it's a professional exam, they're trying to eat up the budget they've got left for training and things. And so just everybody's slammed. And <clears throat> there were years where, I mean, if you worked in our organization, you had to have the ability to strap on a headset and mm -hmm. proctor an exam during December or, or it just wasn't going to happen. Like we, it took every bit of manpower that we did. I think that's a, something that people tend to forget about technology startups. I think, I think people don't really appreciate that most technology startups in the early days, there is a lot of just manual hand cranking. Yeah. Amazon calls it mechanical Turk, right? It's literally people turning a crank or somebody that, that does it physically with humans until you can get the tech right or until you can get the tech tuned so that it works well and gets the results you want. Um, I, I thought, I thought that was unique to us. That that's everywhere. That's, that's all tech companies, mm -hmm. uh, that I've ever been a part of. You just muscle it up until it becomes a real, you know, thing you go, oh, you got a system, you know, that schedules these people and whatnot. How, how did that start? Well, we used to have Jimmy over there that would just, you know, schedule it, for you and it was it takes a little time for you to figure out how this needs to work before you can actually build a system that does it automatically well that's the thing i mean you got to just you got to make it work right and we all talked about it and we talk a lot about it luke wrote a book about it grinding and hustling i mean that is this is what it takes to be in a startup you know not just a startup any business that you want to make successful mm -hmm. and that you're passionate about and you care about. It's just, that's just what it takes, man. You know, this is your moment, Luke. I'm going to check the chicken and plug the book, Luke. What's the name of the book? <laughs> the book is called the final thought. Um, and it's really a, a, a goal on, on trying to get a little takeaway or a snippet on every concept that you could really put into practice every day. And, you know, to that, to that end and, and Matt, what you were saying, there's also, I think people, 
you hear, to, you know, startups and like, oh, you got to wear a bunch of different hats, right? Well, you got to be able to do this and you, you got to be able to do that. And people don't, I don't think, recognize how true that really is um, and how many things that you've just got to be able to figure out how to make it work because there's nobody else to do it. There's no system to do it. There's no other person to bring in. It's kind of on you to, to sit up all night and build a ticketing system. You just got to find a way to make it happen. That looks great, by the way. Yeah, I, I got it. It looks yeah, good. I, I was about to say, like, tune in this week and watch me burn a chicken. Uh, I've gotten it to cool off a little bit. It's not not as bad. So, I mean, you, you've got, uh, you know, we've all got years of experience doing this. One of the things I wanted to ask was, you know, what evolves is people's attitudes about entrepreneurship or when you work for a startup. So the way people reacted to me talking about the company in the beginning is very different than now. I, you know, I meet people now and they're like, oh, my God, that's so it's so incredible that you guys started this and that who you had the idea and da, da, da. And it looks so uh, intelligent in the rear view and everybody looks brilliant in the rear view, right? When you, when you were successful or you had something that actually worked that you were trying to do, but tell me some stories about when you guys first told someone, Hey, I'm going to go work for this thing, particularly Luke. I want to hear Luke's story. Cause Luke, Luke, we told in during the, the previous episode that he was on, we told the story about how he, he was working at Verizon and, and we recruited him to come, but like he took a huge pay cut to do this. And he had to convince his wife, like, you know, Hey, I'm going to do this. I'm going to sell my car. Like, how do you, when you were telling people that Luke, how were people reacting to what you said you were going to go do? You know, there's just a lot of, um, like, huh, you're going to do what? Why? Like, why? Like, this is, this is a really good company. Like you've, you've kind of done pretty well. Like what, what's, so what they do, what to who, how, uh, you know, it didn't help that the, the name and the story behind it was also a little bit of question, as we talked about earlier. Um, so, you know, there was there's a lot of question marks to it. Um, but by the same token, there's that element of being a, a part of something from the ground up that if, if you're willing to listen and really consider how incredible that is to be a to be a central core part of something as it gets off the ground and, and, and goes the direction that, that incredibly Proctor U has, you know, over the last decade, for me, decade, um, that it, it's, huh, it's incredible to look back. It's really incredible. And to your point, it, you see all of the, the, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty, but things didn't make sense 10 years ago. It didn't make sense selling vehicles to, to have the job. It, it didn't make sense to go, well, let's, let's do take a 50, 60% pay cut and hope that this works out, right? Uh, but I think, Matt, on the episode that you had shared, you, you made a comment about something that's really resonated with me when I've talked with others um, in startups and, and such. The people that you form around you, um, certainly with a startup, is undoubtedly one of, if not your most important elements to a business and certainly to a startup. And for me, you know, Jared, the, the, the why behind that and, and some of the, the conversations I had, even with Savannah, my wife, and, and talking through how are we going to make this work, um, it was the people sitting down, meeting you, sitting down, having dinner with, with you and Matt, your families, your wives, your kids, getting to know the people that I was going to, you know, go to, if, if I can use this word, go to battle with, right? I was going to throw it all in and let's all do this together. You've, you've got to have that core group. Uh, that you can trust implicitly, 
that you know has got your back and that you're all in lockstep heading towards the same objective and goals. And man, that was that was really just one of the key elements that was like, this is it. This is where I'm supposed to be and, and I want to be a part of it. I mean, if you don't have the right relationships with people and you don't have the right people on the team, I talk about it all the time, like get people around you and get aligned. But um, that's, you kind of said some of the, what does that mean? Like, well, that means like, go to dinner with people that you're going to work with, get to know their families, get to know what their goals are and, you know, make sure that when they win or when you win, they win. Right. And, and if you really believe in each other, then it, that should be relatively easy to do. And that's how you can kind of build a team of people that are going to, you know, win long-term that are going to climb mountains together and, you know, slay dragons and do things people said wasn't possible. It's like when you can all get on the same page and believe, and it doesn't really matter what people that are sitting on the sideline go, well, that's kind of weird, right? It doesn't really matter, right? It just, it, that, that's what I always had to remind myself is that, you know, it doesn't matter what people mm-hmm. think when you tell them what you're doing. All that really matters is you understand it and you know where you're trying to go and, and that you're going to work hard to get there. And then when you do, people go, well, that was really smart. And you go, yeah, well, it, looks, it sounded really dumb at the time, right? But it looks really smart in, in the rearview mirror. The, the concept of quality over quantity um, when you're dealing with your team you may never find a better representation yeah. when you're starting. Oh, yeah. Agreed. You know, Jared, we spent some time, you know, I had an episode, Luke had an episode, but I think your audience really needs to hear about why Steve decided to join. Because think about, think about it, Steve. Yeah. You were like running a major home building company. Your, your company built my house that I'm living in today. So <laughs> like, let's, I want to, yeah. I think your audience, I think the audience really needs to hear about that. You know, uh, it was something that was really, uh, it, it took a lot to, to really think about. I mean, you know, I was I was kind of hearing what you guys were doing and paying attention. Uh, Jared was telling me and, and, you know, I saw what was happening, but I was still a little unsure. And, you know, I was like, well, you know, I'm, I'm really, you know, I've never been in a startup before. I've always been in established businesses and been, you know, kind of a value add at, at that point. Uh, but really, you know, it, it goes back to what we were just talking about. I saw with talking with you and talking with Jared and, and some of the other team members at the time, the passion and just being around you, knowing that the, you guys were going to do whatever it took. Uh, you know, you were willing to do the things that no one else was, was willing to do uh, at that point to be successful. Uh, just like the ticketing system, you know, that's a, that's a small example, but there were numerous things like that over the years where we just didn't accept it. You know, we didn't accept no for an answer and, and we just didn't say, well, we're just not going to be able to do that. We powered through it. And, you know, I think for me, that was kind of the thing where I was like, well, you know, I have this safe thing over here that I'm doing and, you know, making a good living at, and let me, let me just get out of that and, and come into something that I've never been in before. Uh, but, it was a real challenge, uh, and and I felt like I believed in the message, not just because I was, you know, invested in it monetarily, but I believed in what, you know, the business was trying to do, uh, and I felt like that I could really come in and and be a value add and, and try to be a, a contributor, and I and the the last thing I think that was you know I tell people this all the time, is just really being a part of something. Uh, on the ground floor 
and being there with everybody and locking arms saying, hey, we're going to go do this, blocking out all the noise, as you talked about, Jared, all the people that are saying, what are you doing? What's going on? Blocking all that out, just being hyper-focused and doing whatever it takes to, to get the job done. I was going to say, like, Steve, like, I think the audience and myself just would like to hear again, you know, the story about, um, because I think a lot of people go through this transition period where they're like, man, I'm in, like, I'm in a high paying job. I've got a stable career. I've like made my way and become a successful professional. But then it's just like, how did you make that jump to the startup world? I mean, and plus, not only is it just the startup world, it's something that's never been done before. So, um, how did you wrap your mind around that you go from like, you know, being and running a home building operation to, you know, managing the operations for proctoring? I mean, that's like a pretty big leap. But what went through your mind when you were thinking about that? I, I, it was definitely completely different. Um, you know, I think the biggest thing that it, that it came down to is, is kind of like what every entrepreneur thinks, hey, look, I'd like to, to you know, blaze my own path. Uh, obviously, I, w I was in businesses that were established, very, very successful businesses. Uh, but, you know, there are, there are always things where you look back and go, gosh, you know, I think I might have done things this a little bit differently or that. And this was really an opportunity for me to say, OK, I'm going to challenge myself uh, inside. Hey, I've never been able to be in this field before. No one's ever done this. I'm going to challenge myself and, and believe in myself because I know that I'm going to do whatever it takes to, to uh, be successful. And I'm going to bet on myself uh, every time, no matter what, because, you know, I know what's on the line. But for me, that was that was kind of uh, the thing where, you know, I do like challenges. I like to be challenged and I really wanted to be a part of something. And, you know, at that time, I never dreamed in a million years that we would be where we are today. Uh, but I felt like we would be a very successful company uh, with with the way things were headed. So you just have to kind of, you know, weigh things out. And life's all about chances and, you know, decisions. And, you know, you never you get about one of these in your lifetime that you can make a decision to make a leap of faith and actually do something. Uh, and And, you know, I was at a stage in my life where I was, you know, fairly young. And if it didn't work or whatever, you can always recover. But I felt like I, I really believed in myself. I believed in the mission uh, that, that Proctor U was at the time. And I believed in the people. And uh, I just I just took that leap of faith. So, Luke, I remember in your episode, you uh, you had mentioned a story where you, you met someone that told you that get you get like one shot to do something incredible in your career. You, you, can you tell that story? Yeah. Uh, so when, when my brother and I were a lot younger, uh, my dad, uh, who didn't have a lot of business background, uh, had taken us to a gentleman that worked out at, at the American Cast Iron and Pipe Company. And the long and the short of it, he's kind of walked us in the office and said, here, boys, I want you to sit and listen and learn and gain some wisdom from this guy. And uh, so we did and we sat and I think we were there like 30 minutes. And, and the, the again, it's funny what sticks with you. The only thing I remember out of sitting on that couch for half an hour is that gentleman telling me, Pretty much exactly what you shared, Steve. Boys, you, you may have one chance in your life to take an opportunity, to take a chance. Uh, do the best vetting that you can. Try to make an informed, intelligent decision. Pray about it. Work with your family on it. But at the end of the day, you're probably only get, get you know, only going to get one shot at that if you're lucky. 
and you better be paying attention and, and you probably better take it. And that liter- that exact, his words verbatim came true to me when I stood outside that gingerbread house uh, back in Pelham and made the decision uh, to come aboard with Proctor U. And I mean, who'd have known that that man's short snippet of a few words would make such an impact, you know, directly on, on me and my family. Uh, it's, it's incredible. But that that is something that anyone should take away as being cognizant of where you are and, and your surroundings and what opportunities are presented and listen and pay attention. Well, you know, as I think about that too, and I think, you know, between the four of us, and I was thinking like, you know, what could, what could, what could the general public or the audience kind of understand about like the importance of like knowing when those moments come and how to seize those moments. And then the only thing I could think that's really common between the four of us is our faith. Like, I wonder how much of our faith and like understanding and seeing like those, those types of things, like plays into our ability, our ability in the past to recognize when that moment was or is, or whatever that may be for you. Yeah. I, 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 I believe that, you know, I've believed from the beginning that entrepreneurship is a calling, right? I mean, it's a calling that you answer and the good ones, um, are doing it because they feel like they have a, a bigger purpose in the world and, and accomplishing this mission um, through the mission is going to do some good for the world, but additionally um, is potentially going to put you in a position where you can do, make the, make the world a better place, right? Make the world a little bit better than it was when you found it. And that mm-hmm. could be in creating some jobs for people that could be in solving problems that could just be in raising your stature in the world and giving you the ability to shine lights, light on a, on, on a problem or, you know, get involved in a charity that you're motivated by or, or, or those kinds of things. I mean, I just, I've always felt like entrepreneurship was, um, a calling for the good ones you know, look, we all read about the bad ones. We've seen, you know, the, the social network movie we've seen, if you haven't seen super pumped, the thing about Uber, woo, that was a good one. Right. And you, you've all seen guys like that that are motivated by power. And, and we've all experienced people like that too. in, in our story, um, but the good ones I think are motivated by a, by a calling to achieve something and, and, and do good for the world and do good for the people around them. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think Jared, when I uh, met with you last time and, and we had our episode together, I shared one of the real motivations for me um, in, in being in entrepreneurship and, and, and grinding and hustling and all those things, you know, there were family aspects and other things, but, but one of the comments that I'd made was um, at the end of the day, uh, it's out of the book of Luke. So Matt, to your point, kind of basing it on, on faith for me to whom much is given much is required. And to me, that's foundational. Um, you know, I, I, I do a lot of the things that I do, and I know you guys do as well, trying to, to better yourselves, growing, um, et cetera, and ultimately having that opportunity to be, you know, ideally, that's what we're looking for, to be one of the good guys, to, to being able to be responsible, uh, what, what we've earned, right, and being able to do, do right by people with that. So I, that's, that's a good comment. I want to ask each one of you guys a question um, to kind of wrap this up, but, but it's, you know, when you when you go through the journey as an entrepreneur, um, there are a lot of really difficult moments, and um, there's there's stress. There's a toll it takes on your family. There's a toll it takes on your health. There's a toll it takes on your mental health. There's just there's certainly a toll it takes on your finances. Um, but there are good moments, and 
I think we were we worked hard enough and we're fortunate enough to get to a place where, you know, it worked and we made it. And so, you know, Matt, can you remember a moment where during this journey of building this company where you were like, dude, we made it. We did it like we we I don't know where it's going to go from here, but like we did it. We, We have made it. So that moment came to me when we achieved um, break-even profitability. And this was like in February of like, it was early too. It was like, I think February of 2011 after um, we settled the operational plan and um, I successfully was able to get the technology implemented. We trained up enough proctors and we hit that spring wave because the spring wave is like, basically what you have to experience over a, a, a longer period of time. But like, it was a similar amount of volume as you experienced in December, but it was just like, it was spaced out a little bit more. Um, and sometimes in our case, it was even higher. So um, when we successfully navigated that and we were taking p and and was like, we actually like are breaking even on this. We're not going to like run out of cash and we are going to continue to grow. That was like, thank, thank Jesus. Like that was like, wow. All right. So I'm not going to have to sell the house <laughs> I just bought. And yeah. uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm not gonna like, you know, you know, I, I'm not going to not be able to feed my family, you know, like, all right, we're, we're going to, we're going to make it. Oh, we had we're it all on the it. line. What about you, Steve? Is there, was there a moment that you thought like, oh my God, like we're making it. You know, I think for me, mine, mine was probably a little farther in the journey, um, probably 2017-ish. <laughs> we all thought we had made it by then. Steve was like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> Well, you know, I, I think uh, for me, operationally, uh, there's, there's making it and then there's being able to scale the solution that this is, this is really something that could go the distance. Um, you know, I, I think when we had that QBR uh, that year in, in 2017, in the beginning of the year, where we looked at, okay, we just finished up, we had a, we had a really good year, we were uh, profitable, things were really looking uh, good. We had some really big deals uh, that we had just landed that, that hadn't started yet, and things were, you know, on the you know, on the increase. I think you and I were uh, sitting somewhere going, uh, headed to dinner or something. And, you know, we were just sitting, going back and forth going, can you believe that we, we have this kind of trajectory that we're sitting here talking about today of, of where we were, were headed uh, in terms of revenue and clients and, and things like that. I think that really was the moment for me. Uh, and then we, we blew past that, you know, but at that time, that was kind of the moment for me of, of like, Hey, you know, I can start feeling a little bit, uh, easier and not so much looking over my shoulder to, to see if the, uh, you know, the bill collectors coming yeah. or, or, or whoever, you know, what about for you, Luke, is, is there a moment that you remember that you think we, we kind of got over the hump? Yeah, I do. It's actually lives in uh, more of Steve and Matt's world with with operations. Um, I don't remember what year it was. It's not been that long ago. And I, I think the way that I answer that question is a little bit more of just an aha moment of, ah, we've really, we've really kind of gotten this figured out. Uh, it was the first year that we went through December, which we've put it kind of lightly how challenging December was. There was some really, really rough 
December's literal all hands on deck. And it, it was it was challenging to put it very politely. And I remember the first December that we went through and I recognized, I think it was probably like Christmas Eve or something. I, I just had a stark moment of, I, I didn't I didn't have to proctor this year. I didn't have to get on the phones and talk to people. I didn't have to step foot into the operations. In fact, I didn't hear from a single person. Our business existed, at least for mine and, and my peers and my colleagues' perspective, our business operated on December 8th, the same as it had operated on March the 8th, which was absolutely not the case any prior year. And that moment for me, I went, ah, we have finally figured out, we've learned from the past we're avoiding mistakes, we're planning for the future, and we have got a machine that is fully cranking and turning. And that that was it for me, man. I guess it's interesting for them to be mostly operational. I mean, even mine, I think, was, I, I wish I could remember the date, but there was just a particular moment where I remember being in that first Hoover office, like the, the first one in River Chase. So it was, it was after we moved out of the gingerbread house. And, um, you know, I had had so many years of, of dreaming of what this thing could be. I mean, it, you know, it started with me at my, my granddad's old wooden desk, you know, in my house and a little place I had at the school that I was working at where I, I was literally everything. I was customer service. I was sales. I was the proctor. And I remember as I was proctoring exams, what I would do to motivate myself was I would close my eyes and I would just dream of a time, envision a time where I could be standing in a room and looking out at people all wearing the same shirts and they're all on the computer and they're all working through our technology and they're connected to students and test takers all over the world and that it was happening and it was happening at scale and you could look out and see it physically, right? And there was a moment in that first River Chase building where I remember me, Steve, and Matt all leaning up against one of these little half walls where we had like the word integrity on the wall underneath us and we're leaning on it and everybody, it's like a beehive. This. It's just, there's people working this. and there's people working over there. And there's a manager walking up. Oh, you got to, oh, we transfer that over here. Da, da, da. And I remember being like, oh my gosh, like this is what it looked like. This is, this is what it looked like when I closed. I thought I was going to be better looking when, it, when this happened. Right. But this is what it looked like. Uh, when I closed my eyes and I saw this thing and, and there was, it was like a profound moment to happen in kind of a really normal deal, but we were leaning up against the wall and, and we looked out and I just said, man, I can't believe like this is actually happening, you know, and, and it did. And it, and it only really grew from there. But I think there's a lot of value in sometimes just closing your eyes and envisioning the ideal state, the place that you're trying to go because that really motivates you through the difficult times. And it kind of gives you clarity sometimes when you have decisions to make. It's, it's good to hear, to hear that from you because, you know, I think um, I remember this is like just, just being funny or whatever, but like, I remember, I think it was in the summer of 2011 and we were going through the summer wave and um, you were at the beach and it was like just melting down. And I was like, Oh, it must be nice. I think Jared probably thinks that he like, we made it or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i took i took a i took a single day to go to the beach you know i never took weeks off like i said i don't think i took a week off for 
13 years or something like that. But I, I took a day or two here. And, yeah, I went home and went to the beach. And then, of course, that's when stuff breaks. Stuff breaks at the worst time when you're starting a business, too. Like, I remember I had the biggest oh, demo yes. of my life when we were first getting started. Troy University, my wife's alma mater, called and said, we'd like for you to come down and give a demonstration to a room full of about 40 people at this university and we're going to decide whether we're going to use you guys and i was like this is it this is it you know this is the demo and so i go and i've been hyping myself up in the car Whoosh, you know we're going to nail this demo we're going to prove to them that we're you know we had it ready i've been rehearsing the system was ready everything and i remember i'm standing out in the hallway and they say okay we'll, we'll call you when it's time to come in and uh, my phone buzzes in my pocket i answer the phone and i'm like hey and it's this guy justin davis it was like one of my early proctors get, became good friends with him and he's working he's like hey uh hey systems down i'm like wait what do you mean systems down he's like yeah i don't know what it's doing systems down and he and he hung up and i was like but and then right at that time they poke their head out of the door they go you're up mr morgan i'm like ah you know <laughs> and so i had to kind of go in there and like you know cue the harlem globetrotters like <laughs> you know i'm up there just da, 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 showing slides and they're kind of like is he going to show us anything and somehow we talked our way through that, and I just explained to them what had happened. Hey, you know, this system actually went down or whatever. And for whatever reason, they gave us a chance to do one class based on, I guess, just the earnest, like we were trying hard. And we nailed that one class. I remember it was 90-something students, and I thought, how the heck are we going to do 90 students in three days? And we did 90 students in three days, and we got a long-term contract with them, and they ended up, you know, we built the business on the back of that contract. But if you'd asked me in the moment of that demo – it was over, right? I mean, we were not, we were never going to, we were not only we were not going to get that contract, it, we were never going to be a thing. And so, yeah. I don't know, perseverance. I wish I, I wish I could say I was this like really patient guy and like, I, I really am not. It just, you know, sometimes you don't have any other option, but to be patient and, and just persevere. That, that is, that is a testament to your, your like ability, your sales and marketing ability, Jared, like for real. Well, I mean, Luke and I've talked about it before. Like you just, you just, you just have to be honest you just have to be um you just have to tell people the truth like trust is the is the way that people decide to do business with you if they trust you right and so i just just like hey man that this hasn't happened before but the system's down right now and if it was up uh this is what it would do and if it went down during your test this is what i would do and it was like man not a great you know we certainly benefited from there not being a lot of stiff competition at that moment um, but you know, we were standing in front of these guys and telling them like, look, we're going to work. Nobody's going to work harder to make this, this happen for you guys. And they, they gave us a shot. Most people probably wouldn't, but eventually somebody will, if you keep taking that earnest attitude. And then when you get that shot, it's like the Eminem song, man, you got to nail it, right? It's your one shot and you can't miss it. You, know, you got to make it happen. And when you do, then that's, it's amazing what can happen. All right, let's check the grill one more time. Steve, you're the grill master here. Be the judge. Is it, do we burn it? What are we looking at here? A burned chicken? Uh, I think it's looking good. Right. I think that's a good color. Yep. I think so. I don't, I don't see any char really on it. You know, what do you do in situations like this? What do you guys do? So it was supposed to take 90 minutes to cook this thing up to temperature, and it is 193 internal. I, I kind of want to take it off, even though it's – not supposed to it's supposed to go for a little bit longer you pull it just you pull it just pull it if it's if you got the internal 193 it's, it's yeah community effort here on the slow smoke business show all right guys matt steve luke 
Thank you guys so much for joining today. Uh, this is probably not going to be the last startup roundtable we do uh, where we share old stories. And I just really appreciate you guys, all the work you've done through the years, and for being on the show. Thank you guys for being here. Pleasure. All right, it was great. Thanks, Jared. Enjoyed it. Don't forget, guys, to check us out on social media. We're on Facebook. We're on TikTok. We're on Instagram. Follow us at Slow Smoke Business.